The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Dom. And welcome to our special guest, Matthew Clark. Hey, Matthew. Hello. So uh, before we get to why Matthew is joining us in just a second, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets. So I uh, wanted to welcome Matthew. Uh, Matt, Matt is a listener, the Secrets of Tech, and he's a member of the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord mm -hmm. and uh, we've uh, he's been a good contributor to our channel secrets of technology channel there whenever we have a show and uh, matt would share his perspective as a farmer and the technology that he uses and it's fascinating mm -hmm. I, i've i've loved all his contributions and it's it, i love to learn about how important jobs that people do that are kind of regular jobs that lots of people do but I don't know anything about the background. Like my brother's a truck driver and I'm always fascinated by his job as a truck driver and the technology he uses and that sort of thing. And so I'm fascinated by Matt's what he shared about being a farmer. So I said, we should definitely get him on. Of course we had to wait till the off season <laughs> when the man isn't out in the fields, busy, busy, busy. Uh, and so this has been a great opportunity to have him here. So again, welcome Matt. And could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your farm? Um, I've, I farm with my brother and one, one hired man in northern Missouri. Uh, have a bachelor's in science and from the University of Missouri. I've farmed for about 25 years. And, you know, it's, it's not a big farm, not a small farm. It's pretty average size for, for our area. And we just, have, we and have corn, beans. And uh, raise 250 to 300 head of cattle. Okay. Mm -hmm. Was this a family thing? I mean, is this something that yes, the family yes, did? Uh, okay. I'm third generation. Awesome. Oh, awesome. And um, could you tell us a little bit about the, the this is a you know, very Catholic uh, question, but the vocation of a farmer and what it might mean to you to be a farmer? You know, that's a, that's a tough question. I, I've, I've been asked that recently several times, actually. And farming is, I mean, that's what I do, but what I am as a farmer, um, it's, I've spent my entire life working on this farm. I, I'm, I live a half mile from where I grew up and, you know, it's, it's just who I am. Okay. It's. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Not surprising that you would say that just because, you know, there are. I mean, if there's a more fundamental p profession <laughs> than farming, I don't know what, what there is, you know, mm -hmm. after parenthood, you know, which is our yeah. primary vocation or religious life, mm -hmm. or, you know, the, the priesthood. But to be a farmer, I mean, it's is to be in a line that goes back to the very beginning. So I, I, yeah. I can see where it, might, it would be difficult to express. What does that even, you know, mean in a larger sense? So I, I, I appreciate that. Well, it's, it's one of those things, too. You know, of course, I, I live in a farming community. I, my family were, were farmers bef before I was born. And, you know, I've been around farming and ranching most of my life, uh, not participating in it, but around farmers and ranchers. And, you know, it's one of those jobs that it's not an eight to five job by any stretch of the imagination. You know, you'll have busy yeah. seasons where you're going from as soon as the sun starts, you know, the, the, the twilight is starting on the corner of the sky till the twilight is finished at night. You know, and oh, then yeah. there's times it's, like now where you're, you really don't have much. You've got your preparation for the next planting, you know, or whatever. Yeah. yeah we've been uh, taking care of cattle, working, working on equipment and hauling grain, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And so, um, 
this is secrets of tech. And so we want to, you know, talk about the tech you use in agriculture and farming. Can you tell us about, just start with what is the most vital piece of technology to what, to help you do what you do? Uh, as funny as this sounds, our smartphone. Mm-hmm. Whenever I started, I graduated from college 25 years ago and I had a cell phone that occasionally got reception. Um, <laughs> you couldn't yeah. destroy it, but it didn't always work. And as that's progressed, you know, it's improved it a lot. But whenever I'm doing my job, we're out in the middle of nowhere. You know, sometimes sometimes a person can't even see me from the road. A lot of times they can, but, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I, I know I share my location with my family. So mm-hmm. if something happens, so from a safety standpoint, I'm not going to be leaving, leaving the house after lunch and be gone for eight hours without anybody knowing where I'm at. I still tell people, well, I'm going to this spot or this spot, but things change. Things happen. Sometimes you move some, and you don't get anybody told. So if for some reason I didn't show up on time, somebody can, you know, pull up the, find my phone and be like, Oh, right. he's over here. So with that also, you know, back in the nineties, whenever I was still in high school, uh, I remember dad subscribing to a satellite service to get markets, weather, oh, ag sure. news, all this stuff. I mean, you would get it on terrestrial radio, but you know, get your once an hour. But for 15 years or more, we had a corner in the office at their house that had a box with a old uh, um, <laughs> monitor on it just for the markets and for ag news and stuff like that. So we could get mm. timely information. And I remember whenever I finally called and canceled that and they're like, well, why are you canceling it? I'm like, I said, <laughs> you know, I can get everything for free. This was, you know, 2010 or 11, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Like I can get everything for free on my phone. It's it, all the information's there. It's timely. And, and before that, you know, we had, we had some businessman radios and stuff like that. So you could talk to the base stations, but I remember either being at home or hearing on the radio whenever I was out working and dad would, would holler at mom and say, Hey, uh, go check the markets. She would check him, tell him. And he'd be like, okay, get so-and-so grain buyer on the, on the phone. <laughs> and she would have the, the base station for the, for the FM radios in one hand and the phone in the other relaying message between the <laughs> grain buyer and dad. So that, you know, he, he could, he could do that. I can do all that with my phone. Right. That the ubiquity of communication and being in contact everywhere. I mean, that's yeah. really been the, one of the biggest changes in technology. And I think we're not done with that. I mean, even now there are dead zones and that sort of stuff in the rural areas. Oh. You know, we're <laughs> yeah, not done. Plenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, but so I don't think we're done with that. I mean, the latest advances like with Apple's iPhone and the satellite emergency thing, I think it's a harbinger of what's to come uh, mm-hmm. with that ubiquity of being in touch and being in contact. Well, I, I, I ran into that the other day. There's known dead zones and I happen to be in one and I looked down at my phone and I had lost my podcast or book or whatever I was streaming. <laughs> and my phone said SOS up in the corner. And I was like, Oh, well, apparently that's going now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Right. Right. I think, yeah, something there's a, like the, when it says SOS, you have, that's like, you could dial nine one one. I think is that what that means. I think so. I think yeah. so. I think that's what it is. But like the most basic service, or it might be it might be an acronym for something else, and which would be a bad idea to make it the same as SOS. But yeah, <laughs> if it's, it's like on Android, it, it probably does. Let's say, Android will say emergency dialing only. You know, right. same, same yeah. kind of thing. You know. Yeah. I just restarted it and said, "Hey, maybe you'll pick up a tower now." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> 
hold it over your head and uh, hope for the yeah, best. Yeah, I was going to say, anybody who lives in rural areas knows <laughs> the, like you're holding it up as high as you can to try to get that last little sniff of tower <laughs> reception. <laughs> yeah, I was, I mean, even around here in the Boston area, there's, I, you know, I, I do scouting with my kids and there's some scout camps that are, you know, dead zones. Well, dead zones for my service, Verizon apparently can get it wherever they want. And, yeah. and, I, and I'm standing, you know, climbing a tree to try to get a bar. So. <laughs> I, I, I'm hands free most of the time, almost all the time with my phone. So I find a spot if I'm in the shop or wherever that it's like, Oh, it's happy here. We'll just leave it here. And <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Bluetooth to it. Right. Right. So do you guys have any uh, questions for Matt that you wanted to, to ask? Actually on that, on that subject, um, have you played around with any of those like kind of mesh network technologies? I know it would probably just be for local communications where, you know, anything within a you know Bluetooth range or Wi-Fi range or within range of a repeater, smart devices can text and stuff. No, not really. Um, no, we just rely on rely on our phones and, and texting. Um, you know, I, my brother and I, of course, grew up together and our our hired man, he's been working for us over 15 years now. Some days we don't even talk to each other. So <laughs> we, we might be in the same field, but we know what everybody's supposed to do. And, and yeah. you know, well-oiled machine at this point. I think a lot of people uh, listening would be surprised by how uh, the actual technology within your equipment, the tractors, the combines and things like that, how that's changed. You know, can I talk about a little bit about that? Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I've been farming full time for 25 years. I, st- I the first time I I planted a field, I was 13 or 14. I started on an open station tractor with no monitor on the planter, mm-hmm. anything. Go out there with with uh, an arm on the planter that goes down and makes a mark, and you follow that mark all day long. Mm. And you know, as as it's gone along, the monitors and stuff on the planters that tells you how much, if seeds dropping, how much seed, you know, those have improved just steadily. Um, but you know, once we got, once we got probably really, it became affordable and reliable enough probably 15 years ago with auto steer mm-hmm. and, and now GPS controlled seeding rates and variable rates and stuff like that. It's just, it's night and day really. In the in my in my career, it's it's changed so much because so I go out, I set, I reach up, I touch my my, my controller for the tractor, tell it what kind of line I want to draw. The tractor's GPS knows exactly where it's at. I push start, I drive the tractor through the field one time, hit end on my line, while I'm turning around it will render the next line that you have to, that you'll go on. You reach down, you push the resume button, put your equipment in the ground. And until you get to the other end of the field, you know, you're going with the plant. You're looking at the planner. You're looking at your equipment. You're checking gauges. You're checking monitors, making sure everything's, everything's going. And, and on the planner side of it, the monitors have gotten so much better. Well, it's not the, the, it's not even a monitor anymore. It's a controller for the plant. Mm. My, the planter that I have, this will be my second year. I actually, thank you, chip shortage and all other shortages. (laughs) (laughs) I had ordered it a year before I actually got it. It took over Mm. 12 months to build, but um, the screen that I have, which I've shared pictures of on discord in there for the planter, it's running off a of GPS too. There is absolutely no ground 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 drive contact with the with the planner. The planner is all electric. The it can vary rates from row to row if you want it to. Um, so as you go through the field, you have to be moving. I think two and a half miles an hour before it to pick up speed, and it just. Whenever it gets, it paints lines. Whenever it gets past the painted line, GPS line, it starts planning. You pull into a point, you pull into point rows, end rows, no matter the angle, it'll shut off rows one at a time as you, Mm. or however you have it set up, but one at a time as it goes across the planter and you lift up, you turn around, push your resume button on the tractor, 
put the planter back in. And as you drive back into the unplanted stuff, it starts, starts planting again. It sounds like autopilot, you know, in many ways, how, yeah. how long before this is fully automated, do you think? Um, or at least remote control, you sit in your easy chair at home, remote controlling <laughs> it in whatever field it's in. Or a command that, center, right, with all the monitors <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. Some of that, some of that sooner than you think, probably. Some of it, uh, some of it maybe not as soon as you think. John Deere, last year, they have, John Deere has gone to releasing all their new electronics, robotic stuff at uh, the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. They've done mm. this two, three years now. Um, yeah, farmers don't get to see it first anymore. Right. And last year, they introduced their autonomous tractor. It's out there some. I'm not sure you can buy it yet. Um, but there has been. I've watched videos of it running, and, you know, it looks... They have it running in square fields with no obstacles. Sure. Mm-hmm. They, they've thrown obstacles out in front of it, and the thing stops fast enough that if a person was in it, <laughs> you would be thrown through the windshield. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it just... It's coming. It's coming. I, I personally don't know by the time the robotics and stuff like that gets here, if it will necessarily look like, you know, what you think a John Deere or Case IH or New Holland tractor looks like out in the field. Um, I really think that we might be going back towards smaller equipment and mm. form robotics. Mm. Um, I think, I think maybe as the University of Michigan had done some stuff doing for planting um there's a company called fent i know they are working on on different robotics for planting and stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah i was i remembering the uh the movie interstellar i don't know if you've seen it where oh, yeah. the first part of it he's got the robotic uh tractors and combines which are basically just regular tractors and combines that they pretend are yeah. robotic uh so they don't look all that fantastic but then you have all the way to star trek where they're Mm -hmm. you know, looking 400 years in the future and imagining, you know, hovering robotic (laughs) uh, vineyard uh, pruning machines and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of these things like uh, laser weeders and like just all of these ideas for how to improve the farming. How do you feel about the increasing technology and the fact that, you know, you're able to do much more with fewer people is is that a benefit is it is it bad to remove the man from the system some of that's chicken and egg um (laughs) you know are are we getting some of this stuff because we don't have the people which we don't are are people going away because we're getting this stuff it's it's a little bit at the end of the day there's always going to be somebody out here farming um i don't worry too much about my job going away because while while driving operating equipment and driving tractors is what gets every little kid to want to come and farm <laughs> um you know my job's growing growing commodities right. growing, or raising cattle and you know the the that's not going to go away how i do it probably will change but you know from me to back to dad it changed from dad back to grandpa it changed from grandpa mm-hmm. to you know it's it's always changing we've yeah. the american farmer can raise so many more crops now than we could e- even 50 years ago so mm-hmm. we're still here even though even though we have increased production with fewer inputs everybody needs food and crop yeah. people gotta eat <laughs> yep. yeah well, I'm sure in your areas, a lot like up here, up in North Dakota, Montana, where I'm from, where there's a lot of old farmsteads, a lot of old homesteads that, you know, people sold out and moved away and more farm, you know, small, smaller number of farmers were able to do a lot more land because of the newer equipment, the night, you know, the bigger tractors and then, you know, and so on and so on. So that's, that's probably still going to be a trend for quite a while, I'm sure. Oh, it it is. It's, it's really hard to say. I mean, where does it end? I don't know. It's. Farms tend to get bigger as equipment gets bigger, and mm. it's it's uh, economies of scale is right. what I'm looking for. And whenever you're raising a commodity, economies <laughs> of scale 
work well. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Now, are there any older equipment that you use, any older tech that you still kind of find um, yourself using on a regular basis? Oh, yeah. We've got, we've got a couple of older tractors that we use every day for things that don't, that don't need, um, you know, all the, all the electronics and stuff on it. Uh, you know, you have to grind feed, you have to feed hay. Um, and mowing and baling, there's not as much. You're not planting or harvesting anything. So mm-hmm. whenever you're making hay, you, you don't necessarily use as much technology, although I use auto steer for anything I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just so much easier on me. But, um, oh, yeah, there's plenty of older older stuff. It's It's not just all new and fancy. We mm-hmm. use it all. I don't have a tractor without a cab on it anymore. I just. Oh, you don't have one of the old. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I mean, I have a couple of 40 year old tractors, but they have cabs on it. I, I, this, this, I don't like to be cold or hot. I would say no, no, yeah. no seat with an umbrella was all the creature comforts you had. <laughs> no, no. I, I put plenty of hours on those whenever I was a kid. Yeah. Here's a water jug. Go over yeah. there and work. Okay. <laughs> those are those are fun to see when they show up in the, you know, rebuilt in the, the city uh, parade or something like that. But I can't imagine they were much fun to drive. Right. Uh, you know, we didn't have anything else or, you know, mm. there are not as many cab tractors. And when you're 12, 13, 14, and you're out on a little 50 horse tractor raking hay, mm-hmm. you think you're one of the guys. So <laughs> there you go. You know, one of the big uh, controversies that that has kind of spread out beyond the farming community into the general consciousness has been this i this the problem of right to repair, and this goes across industries and technologies. But one of the big ones that I've noticed from the agricultural uh, industry is this John Deere problem. Could you tell us a little bit about what the issue is with right to repair and? You know, John Deere is the, the is the big name, but probably goes with other businesses as well. What's what's going on with that? Yeah, I suspect most companies are this way, but they're very protective of their hardware and firmware and software. Um, Deere has been at the point of this. They have been the ones out there taking the arrows. You know, you know <laughs> they they until yesterday, I think. Yeah. Yep. They. They said, you know, the electronics on our stuff has to be serviced and maintained by a technician from one of our stores. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't let you have, you know, the modern tractors, you've got half a dozen, maybe more controllers on it. You know, ECU, PCU, HCU, all the all the components have a controller. So I've I've personally had trouble. I I personally popped a ECU on one of my tractors and one, it took me and the tech like a week to diagnose and finally figure out that, Oh, it really is the ECU. Mm-hmm. And then once we got that, um, a bug had creeped up in John Deere's service software and mm. it wouldn't flash the new program to the ECU because the ECUs come blank. You put them on a tractor. They're the same thing across all tractors, all combines and stuff. And then they have to plug in their 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 laptop and flash the specific program for the size tractor that you have and the year. And so so then we were down a day or two and he had to make a few extra trips. Um, you know, I if if they let their their diagnostic and repair software out there so people can at the very least diagnose what's wrong then i think that would that's going to be a good thing i mean there there's nothing wrong with that at all um on another hand you know if i do have a, another ecu go down or some major controller like that i would be it would please me greatly to be able to diagnose it and tell them hey here's what you need to bring the ecus and stuff are uh, the controllers are not cheap and if for some reason that's not the problem, I go out and buy one, I open it, I can't return it. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about maybe a $5,000 component that, oh, that didn't fix your problem. You know, the tech comes out and fixes it and he's like, well, that didn't fix your problem. What the heck are we going to do now? You know, mm. and move on. 
So, so there's, there's both sides of it. Yeah. It, it seems like there was a, a agreement between John Deere and as we record this and the American Farm Bureau Federation a couple of days ago saying that uh, it's a memorandum of understanding, which means basically it's worth the paper it's written on, <laughs> but that <laughs> yeah. farmers will be allowed to buy the diagnostic tools and manuals. They need to make their own repairs, which, you know, being allowed to buy it is not the same thing as being able to af- afford it. I mean, the, this yeah, could be a significant true. amount of money that they charge for this. There's, there's no, there's no saying. So uh, it seems like a step in the right direction, but I don't know if it's the solution yet. I, I, yeah, I don't know. The, like you said, this doesn't have any teeth. Um, getting getting the equipment and diagnostic equipment into the hands of people that can do this is a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's not going to be for everybody. I mean, not everybody fixes their own phone. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah. So, but it needs to be out there because they are they are strong arming and and do kind of have a monopoly on on that right now. Okay. Well, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see too how it goes with deer because as you said, deer is kind of in the the kind of the, the the leading edge on this as far as taking the the slings and arrows. But all your audio manufacturers are doing yep. the same thing as you mentioned: phones, Apple, and Samsung and Google and all these other. They're all doing this as well. They're all fighting against right to repair legislation, and everything because you know it it is. And, and they would say, of course, it's they want to maintain their their equipment the way it's supposed to be and not have people poking around where they shouldn't be. But at the same time, it's also, they, they're allowed to make more money off of it that way. Right. Well, and, and if you're buying brand new equipment or equipment with low enough hours that is, uh, has a warranty left on it. So the difference between eight R two sixty or whatever, one of the smaller ones is and an eight R four ten, there are some component differences, but the biggest difference between in one line and like in the eight R line of tractors from Deer, the main difference is the sticker and the tune. Mm. You know, mm. the bigger ones might have a bigger engine in them or something like that. But you know, if mm. you give you give us a way to to turn the wick up a little bit, we're probably going to turn the wick up on it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's a, that's interesting. That- that would be a concern. Yeah. Farmers are known for making do and uh, uh, innovating with what they've got. So I can imagine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I remember the the limited time that I spent on farms when I was a, when I was a kid. Um, there are lots of dogs on farms, and they serve you know lots <laughs> of different purposes. You know, hunting. You know, critters, environments, and you know, security and helping with the animals, uh, all sorts of things. So do we? Do you ever think we'll see a replacement for, you know, all of the functions, a technological replacement for all the functions that uh, a dog serves on a farm? Yeah, you know, yes, 40 years ago, no, probably never. I mean, you know, for the most part, they're pets. We we have some dogs. My brother has some dogs that, you know, kind of roam around between all of our places and stuff and, you know, run off the undesirable animals and and. As far as working dogs go, like cattle dogs and stuff like that, there's always going to be a niche for for working animals, especially mm-hmm. you get in, you know, mountain country or inaccessible places. You know, there's always going to be something. Every farm having a having, you know, a dog that's not just a pet, you know, they're pets. I do have to laugh, you know, going to a. Uh... Going to a farm and, you know, they don't have to see you coming. All, they, the doorbell goes off. Rough, rough, rough. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's here. You know, we've had cars and motorcycles and whatnot for, you know, for 70, 80, 100 years now, I guess. 100 years. We mm-hmm. still and, and a lot of ranchers still ride horses to, you mm-hmm. know, to, care, to take care of their animals. So, you know, this the still the I don't know if we get if the if those uh, was it the Boston Dynamics Robo dogs will ever replace a farm dog for that sort of stuff, but you know, probably it, not. Probably not. I'm, I'm going to go with no on that one. <laughs> that thing's a little creepy. <laughs> it's got a laser uh, turret mounted on it to shoot the uh, the, the rats. Uh, so uh, there's so much more we could ask you about. So much, so much more conversation we could have. But this is about all the time we have. Matt, can we sometime have you back for a part two of a conversation? Um, yeah, probably so. That would be great. I, I really appreciate you coming and talking a little bit about 
farming and farming tech. Um, it's a, it's a it's a great opportunity to understand a very important profession and in mm-hmm. in areas that a lot of us maybe don't know enough about. So I really do appreciate you coming and joining us for this. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Okay, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Sedani, Susan L, Leslie H, John and Greta C, and John S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. This StarQuest show is brought to you by Tim Shevlin's personal fitness training for Catholics, providing spiritual and physical wellness through personalized nutrition, workout and prayer programs, and daily accountability check-ins. Learn more by visiting fitcatholics.com. So I want to move on to our headlines for this week. Uh, the first headline, this is uh, one for you, Father Corey. Yeah, I saw <laughs> As that. our resident <laughs> Starlink user. Starlink is getting daytime data caps. In fact, by the time uh, this article, uh, this article came out a while ago mm-hmm. um, and it was due to get to go into effect um, at the end of December. Have you seen this go into effect, Father? It has. It has. Actually, I'm, as we're sitting here talking, I'm trying to find my uh, my stats. But yeah, it, and what it is, is it's it's during certain hours during the day. Was it like 6 a.m. to 10 or something like that? 7 to, to 11. Or something I think like it that. is. Yeah. 7 to 11. Okay, I was close. Um, and it's a terabyte over a month just during those days. So if you remember back when there was like evenings and weekends, yes. you know, it's kind of like yeah. that you know, for your cell yeah. phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I, I've not had any problem with it because uh, last time I looked, I was, you know, usually sitting about 250 to 300 gigabytes during the day, you yeah. know, so it wasn't, you know, wasn't a big issue. And, and it's, it's not a data cap. And so far they shut you down. What it is, is they reserve the right to restrict your, your speed to to kind of throttle your speed. Right. So it doesn't even mean if you go over that one terabyte, you might not see any, any restriction. Okay. It's just, if it says, if there's, you know, heavy network congestion, if there's some, you know, if your particular cell, your particular area is, is a uh, full, then you might get restricted. Okay. But again, it's a might. It doesn't say that there's necessarily will. A terabyte is a lot of data. I'm just looking at mine. Um, I do like last week I downloaded, uh, 486 gigabytes of data and uploaded 191. And keep in mind, I'm doing this (laughs) nearly every day. I'm doing streaming, big files up and down, you know, that sort of stuff. And plus six other people live in my house, you know, accessing the internet. So, and so I'm I'd be considered a heavy user and oh, yeah. I'm not hitting a terabyte and that's 24 hours. That's not just during the, the you know, seven to 11. So, yeah, I mean, it says a terabyte per month. So that was during the day. Yeah, that's not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's not all time. There we go. I forgot my I finally got logged in here. See if I can find the, the spot here because there, there's a place on the uh, manage area. There's a place. OK, so. Yeah, I'm just about actually to rotate over. The, the 13th uh, will be my rotate day. And I have used 317 gigabytes of data in the last month. And again, I'm doing this with Dom, you know, every <laughs> week, you know, and that's during the daytime usage. Every, you know, every yeah. week we're doing Secrets of Star Trek, Secrets of Doctor Who. I'm doing, you know, yeah. uh, Secrets of Stargate, you know. So I'm not maybe like the super heaviest user, but even still, I use quite a bit. And I'm, I'm always watching YouTube. I'm always doing, yeah. you know, things like that. Right. So it's not a big deal. This is this is really what this is trying to do, uh, from what I understand, is kind of in, in reading some of the Starlink forums and stuff like that. It's the people who are doing like network connection sharing, where yeah. there'd be like three houses with Wi-Fi links all connected to one Starlink. Right. It's stuff like that that they're trying to kind of cut back on. Well, it seems to me that Starlink has maybe um, bit off more than it can chew right now. That it's it mm-hmm. that it's. It hasn't been able to grow the amount of bandwidth it can serve as fast as they pulled in customers based on yep. this article that we'll have a link to from The Verge um, that they're having some trouble in certain de- uh, places where there's a lot of people on the because each right. each satellite know that you, you get satellite down individually, but to send data up, it goes to a central location. Is that what it is? So, 
Yeah, so what it does is all Starlink does is it bounces from your dish, from Dishy. They call it a Dishy uh-huh. big dish face. That's actually the name of it. Um, <laughs> from the dish up to the satellite, low Earth orbit satellite, and then back down to a ground station somewhere close, quote unquote. Um, there's actually one that's about 100 miles north of here, and there's another one that's about 150 miles south of here. You know, so, but that's, you know, within the satellite's range. And then it goes from there out onto fiber optic and okay. out onto the internet. Right. And that's where the so congestion it, it, is, is at those base stations. Yep. Right. Well, and the satellites themselves too. You know, there's only so many connections the satellites themselves too can do. That's right. Um, and it is a direct shot, but it's still, there's only limits to what they can do. So. Right. Did they do a lot of satellite to satellite communications? Like that is supposed to be version two of the satellites, okay. which they can't launch yet because they haven't gotten their uh, starship or whatever they they call it the oh, new yeah. the new rocket done because yeah. uh, the the new the new satellites are supposed. I've been of course I've been following this because I rely on Starlink and I'm very <laughs> despite despite some you know the occasional glitches and the occasional freezes or whatever that we'll have. It's been a very reliable, very good internet service for me. So I've been following it. And, uh, yeah, the second generation of, of satellites are much bigger and much heavier. So uh, Falcon 9 can't launch as many of them as this new rocket will be able to. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they're not in the Northeast at all yet because we're just we're too heavily congested. Yeah. There's no way they could yeah. handle even the small percentage of well, users that would, that would jump on. Plus, they've got coverage, yeah. You throw a rock, you'll hit five ISPs within your radius of your house. Yeah, so, right. I mean, right, exactly. You know, one of the interesting things that the story says is that so they, they talk, call it priority access. That's the regular full speed service. Mm-hmm. And then you could get knocked down to basic access, which is slower or less bandwidth. But they said that the um, RV and portability satellite connections are always. Uh, they, they can't get priority access. They're always basic access. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So you could get a, you can, there's a special Starlink dish that can, you could put out an RV, but you're not going to get high speed on that. Same well, thing. You will, unless you're, unless you're area that's restricted. Oh, okay. So it's that's, only that's, see, the priority access says I'm always going to get what the most capability I can. Right. Until I hit that one terabyte for daytime usage. Then if my area gets loaded up, then I lose that top access. Okay. So even if you're basic access, if you're in an area without a lot of congestion, you'll get high yep. speed. I yep. see. I That's see. as I understand it. Again, I haven't, I yeah. haven't even come close to touching that since they implemented it. So. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, and then if you have the yacht one, yeah, I guess you always get high speed because, you know. No. <laughs> well, they're, they're also looking at airplane. They want to replace, uh, what is it? Go flight or whatever the right. airline internet services stuff like that yeah they're 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 dreaming big yeah yeah i mean it's growing pains that's that's the thing and 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 you mentioned that you've been having some uh issues apart from the speed issue just having some connectivity issues Mm -hmm. all kind of some growing pains having to do with you know this new service and it's it's widespread there's there's this past week there was some really nasty outages and that was pretty much across a region across the western united states so yeah okay so Bears looking at, I mean, it's interesting. This is, you know, like we were just talking about before with Matt, it was the, you know, the idea of ubiquitous communications, getting this, being able to get online anywhere, everywhere, at any mo- moment is a kind of a fascinating idea. I mean, you know, it's the, it's the Star Trek promise. And you pull out the Captain Kirk's communicator and talk mm-hmm. to Scotty, wherever you are. And yet when people set up their own mesh network or whatever in the mountains of Utah, everybody <laughs> throws a big fit. We are going to talk about it. We're going oh. to talk about that in an upcoming episode. I, I, I have already planned this one. But, yeah, there's a, an interesting story about these mysterious antennas, antennas re- repeater yeah. stations being built on tops of mountains in Colorado that no one seems to know who put them there. And they're on tops of mountains. Like they're not easy to get at. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they mm-hmm. pull one down, they, another one goes up. It's a very mysterious thing. So uh, yeah, we'll be to that. <laughs> that's a teaser for a future episode. Uh, so let's move on to our next headline though, which is uh, a couple, it's sort of a couple of headlines together. Uh, the first one, Seattle public schools have sued TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Seeking compensation for youth mental health crisis. Uh, and mm. there's another headline, Fortnite maker sued by parents saying kids are addicted to the games. This seems to be a new trend, which is these, you know, institutions want to or or parents or people 
want to hold these companies accountable for making addictive products. What do you think as uh, Victor, as a parent, Father Corey, as uh, a, as a pastor, I think if the Seattle public schools wants to address a youth mental health crisis, they should look at the beam in their own eye rather than yeah. the moats <laughs> in everybody else's eye. No, I mean, it's, I can understand parents like being upset and, and, you know, try to be and lashing out and trying to sue, you know, uh, the maker of Fortnite or whatever. Um, you know, maybe there's standing there. Maybe there's, there's not, I mean, it comes down to, if you don't want your kid to play Fortnite, don't let them play Fortnite. I mean, it, it, you have to be a parent, but I understand it's, it's hard. It's, it is very, very hard mm-hmm. to, to monitor what your kids are doing. And, um, especially as they get larger physically, it becomes even <laughs> more difficult to, <laughs> to kind of rein them in. No, but I mean, I don't uh, like a public school district, like, like going after TikTok and Facebook. I mean, they're not the parents of these kids and, you know, aren't right. Yeah. And it's, it feels, it feels weird that they would say, you know, you, you're, you're damaging the kids, you know, therefore give us money. This, this, a, there's a history here with Seattle Public Schools where they getting involved in these lawsuits. They also sued Jewel, the who, who makes e-cigarettes, and they sued YouTube mm. or filed a friend of the court brief in another case of someone suing the family of an American citizen killed in an ISIS attack, suing YouTube for allowing ISIS to be on YouTube. And I'm like, this sounds like this is this is a school district who's got more than educating students on its agenda. Um, yeah. It, it seems kind of fishy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not comfortable with the school district doing. Now, now parents, that, you know, the one thing about Fortnite, of course, you know, this, this sounds like the same thing of, well, you know, my, my kid played uh, Doom, and so now he's going to be a violent criminal going out and shooting up people or something like that. It's like, no, not right. exactly, you know. But there are, there there is addiction clearly their kids yeah. are addicted i mean we're dealing with a minor situation in my family of a uh, a child who keeps getting around my best efforts to put up walls using screen time and stuff and but i also like i know that sometimes at some point this child is not going to be living in my home and needs to be able to deal with this stuff mm-hmm. on their own and be able to manage their own you know use of stuff so it's it's a it's a there's a tension there but there is this these things really draw you in. They really have this, this pull on you. And as a parent, Mm -hmm. we have to help them learn. But if, if my kid is having trouble eating and sleeping because they're playing Fortnite at all hours, well, you're going to be darn sure I'm going to set up my router to block every IP address that goes to the Fortnite servers. Mm -hmm. I mean, or, Mm -hmm. or pay someone to do it if I don't know how to do it myself. You know, it, it is funny, though, of course, we, we never had the chance. The three of us never had the chance to get addicted to like a video game or anything like that, because if you sit here playing video games too much, you're, if your parents were like mine, mom would say, go out and play. <laughs> She'd pull the plug <laughs> on the computer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was up till all hours because we had a 1200 baud modem and I would call my friend William and we'd play on the Commodore 64, this game called Modem Wars. And it would be like three or three or four in the morning because we'd lose track of time. And it was like football with like a little robot mm-hmm. and all this sudden like my parents would pick up the phone and go like fixer what's going on and i'd be like oh no and it would like disconnect us and i'd get in so much trouble for that i mean when i was in college i remember there was one semester the end of the semester yeah. for finals instead of studying i was playing uh marathon you know by bungee yeah and oh, i'd yeah. go to sleep and i'd see the textures on my inside mm-hmm. of my eyelids yeah. you know yeah. the textures from the game i'm like maybe i should be studying instead of playing this game yeah. i mean it's but if it's not that it's something else you know i mean it's the, the, the when it comes down to it there is a certain amount of responsibility that you know if they're intentionally designing these products to addict that would be one thing yes mm-hmm. and and frankly i don't trust tiktok as far as i can throw it uh, honestly mm-hmm. uh, i've said that before um in instagram and facebook the same way i feel like i feel like there's enough out there to show to tell us that there is evidence, and we've talked about this in relation to that documentary we discussed a while ago. Yep. Um, the social dilemma. The yep. social dilemma. That there is evidence that they are making these things intentionally addictive, intentionally difficult for for us to let go. And young people are more susceptible because they're developmentally not as as uh, as developed. Uh, and so 
yeah, there is some responsibility, but I think there's there's also responsibility on the parental side. But I don't think the school district should be involved, though. That's my yeah, opinion. No. Well, and, and I wonder if, you know, like Fortnite, if they could add parental controls of some sort or another where parents can create just a parent account affiliated with their kids and like you get two hours a day. That's it. Well, yeah. We we have parental controls on Fortnite here. When it first came out on Switch, I you know I was sitting with the family. I was like, "Hey guys, let's try Fortnite." So I loaded it to my Switch, and I was playing it on the big TV with the kids. And I was like, "Hey, I'm running around." And then some eight year old like with pickaxe came up and like murdered me in a, in a bathtub or something. And my and my wife looked at me and said, "You're deleting this, and it will never be played in this house again." And I was like, that works. Yeah, parental controls. There we go. Delete it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There, there is always the old take the phone away for an hour or two and go do something else. Yeah. You know? right. Or the switch or whatever. You know. Right. The the problem is is how much like schoolwork depends on the same devices that they can play mm-hmm. games on and stream videos on. And that's been the area there's a, I've said it before, there's a huge hole, uh, uh, like a technological hole that f- inside Google docs, you can access the internet. So oh, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Apple, Google needs to get on that. And maybe I, I should be, you know, contacting somebody, try to filing a bug report or something. But that totally gets around the screen time controls that Apple has. Um, that's mm. a bad that's a bad hole uh, because, you know, my child needs to do schoolwork in Google Docs. Uh, we can't block that. So uh, but apparently um, Fortnite does you, parents can receive playtime reports that track the amount of time their child is playing. So, mm. you know, if, yep. but you got to know it's there, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, if they are playing on the switch, you can set up parental controls on the switch and set time boundaries oh, and, sure. and all that stuff That's there right, too. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, be intentional about what devices you're handing off to your kids. I mean, I wouldn't hand, you know, our 10 year old, a, a smartphone and a smartphone and say, you know, go nuts. Even though I trust him, you know, he's a good kid and stuff, but yeah. you know, you, you do have to be intentional about what you're what you're putting into yeah. their hands. And to that extent, like old, you know, Wii's, we use Nintendo 3DS's, you know, those are still a lot of fun to play, but you're not going to be, you know, they're not so much fun to play that you're going to stay right. up till three and play on them and you're not going to be accessing the internet. You also have mm-hmm. the thing is they can't play with their friends and stuff like that. And that's, that's a big issue for a lot of those, right. those type of yeah, Fortnite, those so. type of games. Roblox and all that, that Roblox is a big one. Yeah. Minecraft. It's another yeah. one. Oh, yeah that my kids have discovered. <laughs> I won't say there aren't nights that I've closed my eyes and see Minecraft blocks yeah. floating around. But, you know. Like I said, that's it's just the thing that still happens. I mean, I played Civ 6 for hours and hours at a time. I mean, that's, but I'm a grown up and I know it's time to go to bed or time to go do my work or whatever, that sort of thing. All right, so let's talk about our last headline. We talked once before about this, uh, this city concept by this Saudi Arabian prince uh, called the line. And I first saw this as a, as a Facebook or, you know, social media meme. It was a, and I thought it was just a concept idea that someone come up with for it's this city that is just basically in a wall, a 170 kilometer long, half kilometer high wall Mm. uh, that's just 200 meters wide. And, you know, everything you'll ever need will be inside the wall, shops, living, schools, all that other stuff. We talked about this before and whether it's even plausible or we don't want to live there. Well, apparently they're building it. Uh, According to this Mm. article, this project is well underway. They've they've dug uh, what they say um, about 26 million cubic meters of earth and rock in the Saudi Arabian Mm. desert so far. Um, and this article in the MIT Technology Review has uh, some satellite images of, of what's going on so far. And there's some question about whether this is even going to be a practical thing. You know, uh, will it uh, It's supposed to be zero carbon emissions, you know, zero footprint. So that's the idea. And some people say, you know, you're in a desert. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it, the, the, you're going to have to ship things in, and it's all this. What do y'all think of this? Um, just even just the latest developments, but also uh, the concept. I think they're going to build a wall. It's going to be a great wall. <laughs> uh, no, just, uh, I I don't I don't personally get it. I don't know who would want to to live there. I know that the vast majority of the workforce, you know, that would be living there is probably, you know, um, come to in to the country, you know, from, from outside the country. So maybe it'll, yep. 
you know, create, create jobs in some respect there. I like, it's not for me, but I mean, if people want to live in a, in, inside of a wall, I would guess that's, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a planned community essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those always do really well. <laughs> yeah. As well, you know, Saudi Arabia obviously has money, you know, and they know, yeah. you know, and who knows, maybe they're, they're thinking that this is going to put people that there might be less desirable. I don't know. I don't know. Cause it's, I mean, it sounds like when you read the descriptions of it, it's supposed to actually be fairly, you know, upscale, but you never know. I mean, really, I mean, they say up to 9 million people will, will be able to live in it, uh, which is kind of fascinating. I mean, the idea is to decrease the footprint, right? Instead of sprawling right. out everywhere, it confines the footprint, but there's a lot of things that have to happen for this to work. They have to have better, uh, energy production, you know, electricity production mm-hmm. from solar. They have to have better desalinization for water, you know, from the ocean yeah. uh, to provide enough water and, and all these sorts of things. And we talked about last time, like, will there be churches in this sort of place? Will there be mm-hmm. uh, family size caps? Like, you know, will there be housing that would fit a large family? Um, there are a lot of like even just societal questions that come up of for this sort of planned city of the future um is is it is it is it a human thing is it a human-sized project in a sense um that's that's a big question yeah i've seen youtube videos where people like it's you know mental exercises like what size cube like what's the minimum (laughs) size cube that could like Mm. house like every person on earth right you know and sustain them and stuff and yeah it sounds like a nightmare but I mean, you're, you're talking about, you're talking about a structure that's 200 meters wide. Right. That's 600 feet wide. Right. A couple football roughly. fields. Yeah. Yeah. Because a meter is roughly a yard, right. give or take a little bit. So, I mean, that gives you kind of an easy, that's not very wide if you're going to have, say, a couple of apartments. Right. If you really think about it, you know, plus hallway, plus other infrastructure, plus everything else you're going to need. So, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what they're planning. It's kind of funny that you talk about uh, public works projects in the Saudi government. Uh, I spent five months in one, thanks to the U.S. Air Force. They, <laughs> the story of this, this base that I was on, it was a permanent built, permanent buildings, permanent housing. It was built for the Bedouin tribes, and the Bedouin tribes went in and went, eh, there's no place for our camels. No thanks. <laughs> Gone. So then the U.S. Air Force got in instead. Oh, funny. So I don't know. Maybe that's what will end up being a military base. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's. I know that would be an interesting military base. Um, yeah, it's kind of. It. I mean, it's. It's a fascinating mental exercise, but it seems. I don't know. I don't know. It just seems. There's a whole other part of the story too, which is about the satellite imagery uh, mm-hmm. being suppressed. The high resolution satellite imagery uh, is usually available. Um, but it wasn't for this until they did a special, you know, purchase of a of a satellite flyby mission. Um, and was the Saudi government suppressing the imagery, mm-hmm. like buying exclusive rights to it? Whereas some of the satellite companies said, like, no, it's the middle of the desert. We don't do high res imagery there usually, unless someone yeah. you know pays for it. But you know, we usually take high res imagery of things that people want to see close up. So. This is really where they're putting the Stargate, and this is where all the aliens <laughs> who are coming from, from the Stargate project say, are going. It's a it's a huge mass driver, and they're going to blow up the moon or something. It's a huge <laughs> rail gun. Yeah. Just... It's a landing strip. I'm telling you, it's a yeah. landing strip for alien spacecraft. Go. All right. Uh, so that's enough for that one. So let's move on to our picks of the week. And, uh, Victor, I'm going to let you go first with yeah, your yeah, pick yeah. of the week. Yeah. So um, I got a, a 3D printer recently, and then I got a, a second 3D printer. And uh, the second one is is pretty nice, but it doesn't have any sort of, you know, Wi-Fi connectivity to it. So what people do is they grab a Raspberry Pi, they put the software called Octoprint onto it, hook it up to the printer. And then from your laptop, you can send files to it. You can monitor the print. You can hook up a webcam to see how things are going. So you're not running up and down the stairs to check on things. Um, The only problem is there aren't a lot of uh, Raspberry Pis to be had these days. Mm. They've They've become very scarce and very costly as um, the Raspberry Pi Foundation has kind of, during the chip focus, focused, uh, switched their focus more, chip shortage, switched their focus more towards um, industrial control systems and that sort of thing. Um, fortunately, the good thing about Raspberry Pis is if you have some lying around from another project, you can repurpose them. So I took the one that had been in kind of my home arcade machine that was running Laka or, you know, RetroArch, 
and mm-hmm. that became the uh, the print server for the 3D printer. Um, only now I don't have anything in my home arcade machine. So mm-hmm. one alternative that I've seen people mention is to take a refurbished thin client PC. So these are very small PCs, about the size of a paperback book even. Um, and so I went on eBay, uh, picked up a Lenovo ThinkCenter uh, M900 with a, uh, you know, it's a couple years old. Uh, Core i7, it has 8 gigabytes of RAM, 256 gigabyte solid state drive for about $140. All the USB ports, you know, built-in Wi-Fi comes with Windows 10 Pro on it, which usually runs about $140 in itself. Um, And for uh, another $25, put another 8 gigabytes into it. So I have a pretty, you know, decently specced, um, you know, little tiny PC in a box that I can then use for my home arcade uh, machine or you know, just as a family PC for the kids to do their, their homework on, you know, even though we have other computers and other rooms, it's always good to have one kind of in a central location so you can keep an eye on them too. So, I mean, even when Raspberry Pi 4s were available, you couldn't get one, a case, a power supply, you know, and all the, the, the trimmings for, for 140. So I was, I was a little leery about buying refurbished, but it comes with a one year uh, warranty. And so far it's been, uh, it's been working out great. The first one I got and um, second one's on the way just because it's uh, it's it's definitely a uh, very nice for the money. Very oh, nice. Very cool. Great idea. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've got a Raspberry Pi here and if it <laughs> if it ever went down, I'm using it for my home uh, automation. Mm-hmm. If it went down, it would I'd be a little worried about trying to replace it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to look at this too because I've I've got a old uh, arcade cabinet, the old wood cabinet yeah. for Moon Patrol game, and that's I've been thinking about Raspberry Pi, but I might have to do this instead. Just got to get a good monitor to put in there. Yeah, I mean this it's perfectly quiet. This thing, so it'd be good for for home automation. But you know, you can install any kind of environment onto it within Windows 10 mm. that you want. So it, it is a good suitable replacement for anything like that. And I assume it's a standard PC type platform so you could install more than just windows um yeah definitely yeah cool excellent very good father Corey, what's yours pick of the week so so i've you know of course i've talked before about my hackintosh you can go back and listen to the and it's still using it that's what i'm using for doing all my recording and everything so it's great but i have a uh, 2005 early 2005 uh, macbook pro that is no longer supported officially by apple for the latest versions of mac os as a ventura well, the same software that I use to run my Hackintosh also allows older, older Macs to run newer Mac OS. So I now have Ventura 3, or 13.1 running on that MacBook Pro. And the software is called OpenCore Pegasus Legacy Patcher. And what you do is you can run it on the system itself. It'll help you create a USB key um, or USB thumb drive with the, the Mac OS install and the OpenCore patcher and everything set it up for your exact hardware of course it's easier with with mac hardware because you know you've got only so many versions of mac hardware right, to support right you know so they know exact hardware everything that apple put on there they know it and so they can patch it and you can take systems as old as 2007 wow. and run like big sur on it huh which wasn't that long ago you know so and they're, they keep working on it they keep trying to figure out what changed so that they can patch it so that it, the newer versions will run. So I think like my 2009 iMac I have sitting here behind me, I think this will run Monterey. It won't run Ventura yet, but they're working on it. They're close. Stuff right. like that, you know? And so it makes it really easy. It's step by, you follow the instructions. The, the instructions in the open core project are amazing. And so for this, it's do this, do this, follow this step, reboot the machine, do this, do this. And you could do an upgrade. That's how I did it. I didn't have to flat, completely wipe the drive. Just upgrade to Ventura. So if you've got an older Mac that's just, you know, just out of support by Apple, take a look at this because your Mac is probably powerful enough to run these versions. It's just Apple doesn't support something inside of it. Right. And they, they patch it so it will. So 2005. I mean, whether you want to run Ventura on anything now is a whole nother question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As I, well, as I call it, I don't even know if I want to run it on my Mac Studio because I call it uh, Mac OS Vista. Um, it, yeah. it's just so buggy. Uh, but yeah, but it's, that's great. It's awesome. I've got a couple of old iMacs here and I'm, and I'm not doing anything with them. If I could, you know, get them on a newer operating system, I could maybe even find someone who needs a Mac and, and give it to them. Yeah. 
And it, it brings it's it will help with some of the e-waste problems. Let's put it that way. It can Definitely. bring new life because, of course, with the newer versions, if you're within was it the last two or three versions, they still do uh, security updates. Yeah, that's right. And so, so you can get an, a Mac that hasn't had security updates in a few years up to at least a version where you get another year or two of security. So that's, that's a very good thing, too. But it helps with the e-waste. That's the biggest thing is you're not throwing out a perfectly good Macintosh. Right. And it's free. Excellent. Yep. So my pick this week is an update of something I talked about once before. So Thermocell is this great new tech. It's a, it's a, it's a brand, but they make um, a mosquito repellent, you know, technological mosquito hmm. repellent little machines. Now, the first one I had was this little cylinder and it, ha- it has a, a liquid fuel canister that goes in the bottom and it has these little uh, fabric patches that goes on the top and basically the fuel burns heats up the patch which releases a mosquito repellent it's not citronella mm. it's that's whatever new formula that they uh, a chemical that they've invented that is apparently it seems to be much more effective frankly i've, I've noticed that i take it camping and that sort of thing uh now I've used it here at home. I've used it when I'm out camping, but uh, you know it's got these canisters and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they come up with a new one called the E series, or uh, when I got it, it was called the Thermocell Live. Uh, they've I guess they've changed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this is is it's got a battery which you charge with you know USB and these little self-contained can- uh, like fuel and uh, the, the the fabric impregnated with the chemical all contained in this little fuel uh, cell that goes drops right in the middle. And so then you can turn it on with the push of a button and it will start working. And I use it all the time now on my patio in the summer. I mean, right now I'm not using it, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it has like a five and a half hour battery life. It, the, the cartridges last a long time. I think I'm still in the original cartridge. I used it all oh, summer. Wow. So um, I, I may not have used it as much as some other people, but they last a long time. Uh, they, they uh, see it has a 12 hour fill refill cartridge. Um, wow. Yeah. I guess I, I must've, I must've swapped one out at least once, uh, but I've got a couple of them. It gives you a 20 foot zone of protection. It says. And so I have, you know, one, a couple of different places in the yard um, in, they are really effective. It's kind of amazing uh, how, and it's not deep. It's not anything like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think they even make one that you can wear so that you can, mm. if you're out hiking, you can carry your zone of protection with you while you're out, uh, out in the wilderness. So um, check it out. Ooh, I, I'm going to have to get one of these and test it out against uh, Montana mosquitoes. <laughs> if, if it'll protect from them, anything. And I was looking on, on the question and answer section, the ingredient that, that they use is called metal. Fluorithin, metofluorithin. Uh, okay, interesting. So it's not citronella. It's not DEET. You know, if you're familiar with DEET for, from bo- off bug spray or right. uh, citronella candles or such, it's not that. But uh, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to get one of these and try it out here in mosquito uh, out here in Mosquito, Montana. You know, where <laughs> you can't half the summer you can't go outside after dark because you'll just get carried away literally by the mosquitoes. <laughs> if, if they don't carry the the uh, the thermosel away, it's uh, it's it, it's probably working. <laughs> yeah, I've got a nice patio out front that would be perfect for this. Yeah, they make even bigger ones too that you plug in that are more permanent installations so that for cover a wider area and last longer. So they have a whole range nice. of of these. So these are really nice. Yeah, I wonder if you can just buy the chemical like in bulk because really all the the devices is just a heater, right? So yeah. you could uh, you know, probably uh make your own or something. You can. I saw something here where you can actually get Amazon like for older units, you can get refills. You just oh, need nice. to burn it at the at the right rate, I think is the key. Um mm-hmm. you you don't want it, you know, you don't want to burn it too fast, too slow. Yeah. So I think that's a part of what the product is doing. But yeah, I mean, yeah, give it a try if you're if you're willing to try it out and hot wire it, do a little uh, redneck engineering, that would be mm-hmm. probably worthwhile. <laughs> Excellent. So that does it for our picks of the week. We'd like to uh ask you to send in your thoughts. What do you think of any of our discussion, our discussion with uh, uh, our farmer friend, Matt Clark, and uh, anything else we discussed today? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Send an email to technology at sqpn.com. 
Visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord and say hi to Matt. His uh, handle there is Regalas, like Legolas, but with an R. And uh, ask him some of your own uh, farming tech questions. Uh, I'm sure he'd be happy to, to have a conversation with you on that. You can find links from our discussion and picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. And uh, if we, we would love for you to write a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you can write any reviews or give ratings. That helps us a lot when you uh, you re- review or rate the show and share it with your friends to help us grow this community. We'd like to thank James for research assistance in this episode. And until next time, Victor Lambs, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And, of course, another thank you to our special guest, Matthew Clark. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. Quest.